Welcome to The Gridiron Show. We are taping this on a Thursday morning. Ollie Connolly here, joined by Cy Clancy. Cy, how are you? Good, Ollie. How are you? Pop me a sore throat. And... Yeah, I'm okay. I have a bit of a throat infection on the on the very last part of this. I thought Will Gavin would be joining us today, and I thought I could just cruise into the background. No one will ever know. And then Will, unfortunately, was pulled away from us at, at the last minute there. He will be back on the show next week. For those who are listening, we are moving out of the draft phase of me and Cy waffling on about stuff, and we'll, re- we'll return to restore a degree of professionalism to this enterprise. Um, I suspect there'll be just more waffling, surely. <laughs> so we're going to get into some of the most uh, intriguing quarterback spots around the league today. We touched on a bunch of these post-draft last week in terms of where all the rookies went, and we did some Lamar stuff, but there's some other interesting and intriguing spots around the league too that we'll, we'll dig in, into deeper as we go through the show, I do want to start with what is the news of the week? The news of the millennium, maybe, because who knows when this will actually ever happen, which is Tom Brady signing a 10-year, $375 million deal with Fox Corp. Not Fox Sports, has been reported. Fox Corp, who knows what else is going to be tied into that agreement where he makes television shows, which he does now. I don't know if you know that, side. No, I mean, it's going to be like an episode of Succession. He'll be sort of <laughs> taking over at Waystar Royco and doing all sorts of things. He's, he's even new Kendall Roy. He, I, possibly so. We'll find out. You know, I thought Cousin Greg was going to end up yeah. as the champion of this thing, and uh, always it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady wins everything, <laughs> always. Um, I, it's it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I'll, I'll get your thoughts first of all. What did you think when this came out, and do you think it's going to happen in a year, in three years, it, it never? Uh, probably never, because he's probably just going to be playing for forever. What's the interesting thing? The, the interesting sidebar, obviously, as, a, as Dolphins fans, is that, you know, it, it was long suspected that he'd end up coming to Miami in some sort of role. There was the meeting that Brian Flores talked about in his affidavit as, you know, the, on Stephen Ross's boat. And there are so many question marks around that in terms of whether that was a thing. I think it was a thing. You know, Don Yee and, uh, and representing Brady also represented Sean Payton. So there was all those sort of question marks, which just threw everything into the mix. And then whether or not if Tua struggles this year, there was sort of talk. And I've heard from more than one person telling me that there was a sort of a loose structure in place of Brady coming back or coming to Miami in 2023 as a sort of part owner slash quarterback slash stick it to Bill Belichick. So but, I mean, that, that, uh, for, for those um, for those who aren't completely in the Miami ecosystem, this was basically that Brady was going to m- leave the books, retire, become the team president of Miami was the idea to circumvent the need to, I don't know, pay compensation to the books for taking yeah. the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> and then in week five, they'd go, oh, what do you know? Tua stinks. Should we ask the team president who's the greatest of all time to come yeah. down from the exec suite to, to maybe marshal the team? And that was the grand plan. And then they would trade like a draft pick to go and get Sean Payton and do the two part together. And this was going to happen. This is not, this has yeah. been reported from the New England side where the where years based on where the best sources are for Brady. This was not like a conspiracy that this was settled. And then the Brian Flores lawsuit blew the whole thing apart. They were like, we cannot go and hire two white guys circumventing the Rooney yeah. rule. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's the kind of the sidebar to it. In terms of him actually taking over and when he takes over, who knows when he'll take over. I think the interesting thing for me is somebody that's worked in broadcasting for a long time is that, you know, how good is he going to be at it? How much is he going to commit to doing it? And I suspect because it's Tom Brady, he'll commit 100%. If I was Brady, I'd make sure I'd be sitting down with people, you know, regardless, and US broadcasters, don't tend to be quite as tribal as as over here. So, you know, I'd be making sure that I was talking to Tony Romo, I was talking to Al Michaels, I was talking to all these different people, Chris Collinsworth, talking to all these different people about, you know, what commentators need 
from broadcast from uh, analysts uh, and also what other analysts advice can they can give but Brady he has to be as honest as possible and I, it was always the, the most difficult thing for, I, I think when working with footballers soccer players you know when they came over to this to, to the dark side of broadcasting uh, oftentimes when they were still players it was extremely difficult for them to ever slag off uh, another player criticize another player because you know full well that you know, in the modern 24 hours a day, 365 days a year news cycle, that suddenly becomes a thing. And then you're lining up against the same person you've slagged off on Five Live or on Sky or whatever, uh, you know, the next Saturday and you're standing next to them in the tunnel and they're looking at you as if to say, you know, you just called me a useless fat <laughs> lump of shit last weekend. And, and now I'm going to absolutely, you know, I'm going to take your legs out. So but I The think- thing that's different about the, being the play-by-play analyst is like, it's a it's the best part-time job in the yeah. industry, period. Okay. You work 20 on-air days a week. You do some schmoozing at an upfront where you'd, you know, you take a picture at the guy at Toyota he sends to his son, and all of a sudden they add an extra bill to the, to the ad fee for some reason to get in a room with Tom Brady, which is why Fox did that deal. It's like there will be ad execs all over the land who are like, I just want to be in a room with Tom Brady. I don't even care. Yeah, add 500 grand to that ad packet because I want to go meet Tom Brady. And I think that the big thing that's going on here that's fascinating is we've seen these salaries balloon and you listen to anyone in that ecosystem, right? John Skipper, formerly of ESPN, is now out of it running Metalog Media, a a smaller media company. And he's talked about this a lot. There is not a scintilla of data that suggests anyone tunes in for anything other than the game. The game is the product. And you can have a better or worse experience depending on how good the broadcast is, but no one tunes in for Romo. What has happened here, if you look at kind of the Game of Thrones of what's happened above them all, with Amazon coming in with a real package, is all the legacy brands are like, oh my God, we are going to get overrun by Bezos and Apple, who's now in the baseball game and are paying insane money to have like two baseball games a week. Insane money. And so you have to hold on to your rights package, because those yeah. are up soon. And uh, Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson are the best duo in the team. Tony Romo has checked out. He signed his deal. He doesn't even study the game anymore. He gets his packet off his analysts, and he gets it about half an hour before the game, and he has a skim, and he goes, yeah, cool. I, I know football better than anyone. No problem. I do think Brady will be super workaholic into mm-hmm. it. I, that's for sure. But if you are Fox, it's $375 million, which is double anyone else in the industry ever. But it's $375 million to not lose the rights package because yeah. the NFL owners will never, ever, ever take Tom Brady off their packages, right? Whereas Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, even the best in the business, which I think they are, they're like, yeah, cool, we'll sell this to Apple for $2 billion quid. Yeah, I think that the interesting thing for me is that if the game is bad, if the game is good, you and me could commentate and nobody would give a shit, right? Mm-hmm. If the game's bad and it's you and me commentating, then people care because it, you know the product is shit. But ultimately people are complaining about the product they're not really you know people will pick up about oh he said this and he said that or you know this person doesn't do this or this person but the reality is that the game is the game and it will always be so and you could put you know a vicar and a you know into the mix as a a commentary team and people would still tune in i just don't think it matters you know you could have uh, rupaul and billy jean king hosting and i still don't think i still think people would tune in and it would still be the biggest show in town and that's just what the NFL is and, and the amazing job that Roger Goodell has done in, ter- in terms of turning the league into this literally you know it's taken over college basketball it's taken over baseball it's taken over basketball's playoffs in terms of just stuff happening throughout the offseason there is never an off day you know mm-hmm. I, I I grew up in an era where people just didn't give a shit post-draft until you know training camp started now there's 
you know, now I've got a massive schedule release on TV. Yeah. And now Brady's, le- uh, you know, his announcement is uh, indeterminate. It's like, it could be in a year's time, could be in three years' time. It- it's telling where that announcement was made was not like a fancy press packet or one of his cool, you know, social media let's go things. It was an investor call from the Fox Corp Corporation yeah. from, I think in their structure, it would be season one Kendall, if I've got their structure yeah. correct. I don't think I don't think Lakeland is like a modern day Kendall at this point, I, I should say for the lawyers, um, season one Kendall when he had some power and influence. Because these decisions are made for investors. It's got nothing to do with the audience. They don't care about you watching the game. It is for 32 humans, which is the 32 owners who control the rights packages. That's simple. And they will never kick Tom Brady off the television screens, but they would happily push out any of the smaller guys. What What is interesting with that is you see now they are just paying purely for fame and prestige. They are paying for Aikman and Buck over ESPN so they don't lose their package and go for another round. of. They are the one who took chances. Yeah. The rest of these now in the top booth, it is stale. It is ex-white guy player quarterback. Either you play with a star in your helmet or you're the best of all time. That's how you get into that booth. Now, Collinsworth is a bit different. He's legacy. He's been there forever. And then you go and get one of the top announced guys. Same with Amazon, right? They had a chance to do things completely differently. They, they were the one who did the all-female pioneer. Remember, oh, they did yeah. a big thing. We're doing the all-female broadcast. When the real money came and the real games yeah. came, they're like, see you later. <laughs> we're going to go get our Michaels. And we'll offer this packet of money to whoever takes it, someone who's on a commercial. So there's only about three of those guys around. Please take this money. We know Talib is amazing. Unique yeah. voice. You know, goes down like a storm on social media. The cool crowd loves to leave. He ain't big enough, not famous enough to, to lead arms and broadcast. We'll go get a college guy, yeah. but he's in Geico commercials. Yeah. So he's known, you know. Also, you know, you look at even someone like RG3, for example, who's made a really interesting sort of move into this world. You look at, I know he's white, but you look at someone like Dan Orlovsky, who kind of felt like, you know, Orlovsky might have a place in the booth, but it's, you know, it's literally, can we sort of take it to this point and then somebody's going to come in and here come Aikman and Buck and here comes you know Michaels and Herb Street and then it's Tom Brady's up here it's just like it's crazy and and you kind of feel like uh, the, there's one person that I feel sort of sitting out there in, in Peyton Manning and you think do I want to do the Manning cast for well him? that's the other fascinating like, thing with this the staleness and the general whiteness of the big booths yeah. is there was this sense last season through like, uh, you know, the people who cover this stuff, the athletic, the New York post who really delve into like sports. I mean, they cover the American media, like it's its own franchise. Like yeah, this just really doesn't happen. Andrew March. And just- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're B writers of the media. Yeah. It's a bizarre trade. Um, good luck to them, I guess. Um, this was going to be the future, right? Oh, is the Manning cast. Could that just become the broadcast? And it's like, no, because the 32 owners don't want that. They want the prestige. They want the gold jackets. That, that's what they want. It will always be the nice little side project that the the nerds on Twitter are like, this is amazing. You know, this, this is the where all the stuff's really happening. And they'll spin more and more out. And the NFL Live crew, Olofsky, Mina, the um, Swagoo, they'll give them one, right? And that'll be on ESPN3. And there'll be about five counter programmings within each network to their own main program. But the main program will still be Hall of Fame guy who can walk into a meeting with a car company and shake their hand and they get they get wowed by Tony Romo. And Romo says, oh, let's go play golf next weekend. Their job now is to sell the whole corporation for ad dollars, which is always the gig. But they're mostly to sell it to 32 owners so they don't stab them in the back and take this product to Apple or Netflix. Yeah. I mean, Netflix's stock is down. Guess what they're going to do next, people, is, yeah. hey, we need to get into live sports somewhere. It's the only thing that works. And what's the biggest bag of yeah. sport what's, on the block? Yeah, what's coming up on the horizon? It's the repackaging of the NFL deal. Yeah, 100%. 100%. 
Um, so yeah, Tom Brady always winning. $375 million is more than he made as a player. The per year amount would make him the eighth highest paid quarterback in the league. His first year at Fox, he will be better paid than Russell Wilson to play the game. Yeah. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. I love the um. Uh, I'm just trying to find. I love the Andrew Hawkins tweet where he said, "I'd like to take time to welcome Tom Brady into the very exclusive club of former players who get paid more in the media after retirement than his competitive athlete." There is no shame, Tom, in having a mediocre NFL career. Congratulations! It's like Tom Brady is like the media version of um. God, who's the backup quarterback that's made about five hundred million pounds and never played? Oh, there's Chase Daniel. There's yeah, there's, there's right. tons of them. He's the Chase Daniel of the broadcast. Brady this year. So he's playing this year, and we he might play another year. He might go to Miami. We don't know. They've signed this deal or whatever. For him to play this year, he's basically paying himself fifty million dollars to play football for the books. Because if he just left, he'd make make substantially more money calling games, not getting hit in the face every Sunday. The interesting thing to me is that they left it completely open-ended as to when he was joining. You know, Mm -hmm. it might be 2023, it might be 2026. Do you know what I mean? It might be, I mean, who knows? And that's the, you know, for all of, uh, of Lachlan, um, uh, of, of Lachlan, whatever his name, um, God, what is his name? Murdoch. Murdoch, crikey. Um, Forget that name. Um, For all of his sort of, uh, was it an indiscretion? Whatever it was, the sort of the very weird way with which it was announced, it was intriguing that they 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 clearly had no handle on, and probably Brady has no handle on on exactly what's happening. It also gets him out of the house because <laughs> yeah. some rumors that things wow. aren't going particularly. That well. must have been an awful month. <laughs> He's yeah, like, I'm going back to football, and then I'm never leaving again. <laughs> Giselle's like. Come on, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, and I will say this one might be t- uh, a touch too inside baseball, but I, the open-ended thing to me read immediately is they're like, well, the, it's better for them to push it as long as possible because Olsen and Burkhart are really good, and if they can time it just sweetly for the new rights deal, it's like, well, you have to include us, and can we get one that runs perfectly in step yeah. with Tom's ten-year deal? So, yeah, yeah. There's no way the NFL isn't giving Fox a rights package. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, I mean, and also Fox could just walk to the party and just offer like $50 and they're still going to get it because yeah. nobody's not buying into Tom Brady as part of the package. And the guy who at present at least runs the, the right side of the NFL is uh, Sir one Robert Kraft. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure they'll be able to figure out a deal. <laughs> Have those two got a connection? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Very funny. It's almost as if he's making back all those uh, team-friendly deals yeah. in his... Yeah. <laughs> It's like one of those government kickback contracts you get. The original contract was like 10 years for 14 million, but the amount of money you save the Patriots over 20 years is yeah, just like, yeah. Robert, I'm coming. <laughs> Skim that off the Fox package, yeah. Robin Hood is back in town, buddy. All right, let's get to some quarterback situations. I had Baltimore down here to begin with, but we hit on that so much last week. The only thing I wanted to add, and I would encourage people, all those shows, pre-draft, post-draft, last week's one, um, are evergreen throughout the offseason, so I'd encourage people, if, if they listen to one, to, to have a binge through them. We went deep into the Lamar situation, which is just one of those peculiar ones that's percolating throughout the league with his contractual situation. And we got a lot of feedback on a YouTube video that was clipped about it, about how you know he would never leave. They can franchise tag him. My only thought in response to that is that given what we've seen over the last 24 months, not just in the NFL, but across sports, where a lot of these guys now are, are forming similar relationships, a lot of these, the super agents, which rep these guys, you know, they rep LeBron James, and then they also rep someone in uh, Aaron Rodgers or, or Lamar. Now, Lamar is representing himself, which does make yeah. it a bit different, but he is absorbing a lot of advice from the super agents, which he said publicly before. He's just making his own decisions. 
Yes, they can tag him, but I just can't imagine in this day and age now with these super duper stars, you don't work in concert with the quarterback and a, a tag and trade would not be the thing. I get they could tag him. I think he will play on the tag the next year. It's just, to me, it's not settled to me that he will be there in 2023. I think a tag and trade is possible. I think it's entirely possible. I think we talked about it last week. It just would not surprise me that the Ravens just, they're just that sort of organization that they just think, you know what? Has he taken us as far as we can go? Have teams figured him out? You know, is he is he going to get healthier? You know, his body takes a lot of hits. Um, and moving forwards, if we invest two hundred million, I mean, and also the, the the I think the most intriguing question in the quarterback market now is post Deshaun Watson, what are quarterbacks going to be asking for in terms of guarantees? You know, the, Watson has a fully guaranteed contract. I don't think he's going to be the only quarterback moving forward. That that's going to have to be a conversation between agents, between Lamar and, and Baltimore, and whichever you know, big quarterback, you know, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert look like the next two kind of big contracts coming up in terms of in terms of QBs. What are they actually going to be asking for? And for the Ravens, is that a deal that they really want to pull the trigger on, knowing that, you know, he's getting older, his ability to run is probably going to start to decline because of the hits. And you can hit the draft with a number of draft picks and just, you know, because it we talk about it all the time, but, you know, just start digging into the 2023 quarterback class and, you know, there's some quarterbacks out there we haven't even started talking about yet that are, you know, Devin Leary at NC State, for example, he can grip it and rip it. There's some players there that you just think, wow, if you can take a step. And, the, you know, every year there's a quarterback that just emerges, as we know, over the last four or five years, whether that was Baker, whether that was Kyler, whether that was Joe Burrow, you know, all these guys, Zach Wilson, all these guys just suddenly appearing from nowhere. There's going to be one of those in the mix of a Stroud, a Levis, a Bryce Young, a Hendon Hooker, a whoever. There's a lot of guys out there that are, a world of talent so I think for Baltimore it makes a world of sense to actually tag and trade him it's a tough one the the, the thing with the under under that top tier market you're talking about there where it's like the 200 million dollar fully guaranteed which I think Lamar will be aiming for and someone will give him right someone yeah. Stephen Ross so desperate don't want to die without a Lombardi <laughs> hand the man 200 million dollars please literally it. I do not want to die <laughs> invested all this time would, yeah not see some sort of joy when i'm dying i want to be clutching the lombardi on my deathbed someone make it happen <laughs> i mean they'll probably i mean broadcasting is so amazing these days what will happen is that tom brady will hand it to <laughs> Stephen ross will be on a hospital bed in sort of a virtual hospital bed and he'll sort of hand it through a, sort of a phaser where in the yeah, metaverse yeah exactly so, uh, but below that top two hundred million dollar level, I do wonder what happens with these guys. Like you know, Jalen Hurts is a guy who is more than likely going to be available next year. Do they start saying, "I want less money in it, but I want it fully guaranteed"? And it's like quarterbacks are one position where that's fully guaranteed, and the rest of them aren't working on guarantees. And with the, the market takes care of some of the cap stuff. I, I do think that's interesting. But we can move on from Baltimore. We, we've done a ton of Baltimore over the last uh, couple of weeks. The Jets, then Zach Wilson. I mean, they could not have surrounded him with more of a launch pad to go have one of these sophomore breakout years with drafting Wilson, obviously bringing in Lincoln Tomlinson, which is a move I'm, I'm slightly iffy about on the offensive line. Brees Hall, uh, Zamawa, they, they have surrounded him with everything that he could have asked for. And, and when you look at that in contrast to like what's happened with Justin Fields, this this general idea of you grab the quarterback, you try and build the perfect structure around him by throwing as much assets, trades. You know, they tried for Tyreek Hill. They tried for Debo Samuel. They've drafted really well on the offensive line. Draft free agency trade market to try and get as much in as early as possible to figure out whilst the guy's got a, a cheap contract, whether he's any good or not. 
Yeah, it's fascinating to see what's happening with the Jets because, like you said, they've drafted really well. And you look at, you know, whether that's Tevin Coleman, whether that's Michael Carter, obviously Brees Hall in the backfield. You know, they pick up guys like Zonovan Knight, an undrafted free agent who's got some real zip to the line of scrimmage, is a decent back um, receiver. They've obviously spent high round talent, whether that's Denzel Mims and Elijah Moore and and obviously Garrett Wilson, who they feel like can be their number one. You just mentioned CJ Uzama, Jeremy Ruckett, they drafted out of Ohio State, or I think he's got a, a lot of talent, was massively underutilized. And then you look at the offensive line, you know, what happens with Mackay Beckton? George Fant has played pretty well at left tackle. He's not really a right tackle. Where does Beckton fit? Does he fit? You know, they've obviously brought in Max Mitchell, the, you know, Tomlinson you talked about, they drafted Elijah Vera Tucker. So, you know, the excuses. I mean, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because what is the expect? What is the realistic expectation year two for a Zach Wilson, given the system that he came out of, given the fact that you know coming into the season before he was drafted, you would look at him as a sixth, seventh round pick. It's a huge step to go from being a sixth or seventh round pick, maybe an undrafted free agent in that BYU system, to then all of a sudden being the the franchise future of the New York Jets playing okay in in bunches you know he had a couple of good games the Tennessee game played well against Tampa other games where he just looked all at sea as you'd expect for a guy who's made that leap what I, I just I'm intrigued to know what the expectation is in year two and but also the pressure then that builds in New York because if he isn't good given the talent that's around him what it just places such a difficult it places Joe Douglas in, in a very difficult situation because do you, you kind of feel like you need to give him the year three because that feels like the arc of his development will be a year three thing but the pres- year three is the one that feels fair but year three oh. isn't happening if he's, oh. if he's not good yes, you know if he's in carolina or if he's in you know a small media market then it might be a bit different but you're in new york you're the face of the new york jets you know it's, it's joe namath it's he's ken o'brien you know you've got to be you've got to be in it to win it and at year three is just not it's not gonna it, it's not gonna rub so i i think it's just a fascinating year for the jets in terms of just how wilson looks and and the decisions that because how unfair would it be to move on from zach wilson after two seasons whatever you think of him they are they are somewhat in that philly miami vein yeah. of they don't quite have the assets for the next year for the draft but they have the the infrastructure to say to one of the veteran guys you want to be the savior in new york now we've heard that with the new york knicks for i don't know 40 years now since that my entire lifetime has been the Knicks will get a giant free agent and they all say believe that I'll just vacation there in the Hamptons when I feel when I, when I feel like going to New York I don't want any part of that smoke and if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I'm considering retirement do I want to finish my days in New York where I could you know just destroy your reputation for the rest of time because all the media people live there probably not do I do you want to work under Woody Johnson and, and yeah. the Johnson family probably not if you're trying to get to a, a savvy ownership group the thing with Wilson that is a bit puzzling to me is they went down the different track to what the Niners did with Trey Lance, who we'll come on to in a little bit, which was they did the full red shirt in San Francisco, keep him out of sight, out of mind, unless Garoppolo got injured, which he did, and they threw him in every now and then. And they were kind of working on one offense behind the scenes with Trey Lance. You know, we'll get you ready for next year, try and iron some of the kinks out. With Zach Wilson, it was the opposite, right? Throw him right in there at the deep end. Everyone knows it'll be terrible, with the idea being we can microwave this in year two once we've kind of figured out we pared down the offense to what we want it to be, what he likes. And yet you go through those games, and I don't think he got substantially better. I know some of the bad decisions fell away in the second half of the year, but there were still tons of way, way too many. It's just that it was so bad in the first part of the year that it looked better in the second part of the year. Any and all measurables put in way more in the Deshaun Kaiser vein of thing. And those guys just don't magically get better overnight. They're just bad players. That's why they're in the Deshaun Kaiser tier of QBs. And the most 
frustrating thing for me from like an X's and O's point of view was, wasn't the whole point to find what you were going to be by the end of the year, that you would work through so much during the year that he would come in week 14 and say, you know, I really like these two. I like scissors. I like dagger. I don't like this so much. You know, I don't like rolling on play action to my left. All the little things that is the free pass of year one that LaFleur can then come in and say, okay, we have the grand plan for going into next year and we'll add, you know, game plan stuff week to week. There was none of that by the end of the year. It was still a hodgepodge. It was still mostly a mess. There was very little joined up thinking just schematically. So I think they kind of blew for his personal development the year one. I think that the interception totals went down and people thought, oh, he must be getting better. But within what they asked him to do, there was no general framework of carryover where you're like, oh, they nail this and they can use that as a base going into next season. Yeah, the marginalization of the offense I found really intriguing in terms of those numbers and what he was being asked to do. The, the thing that fascinated me was that all the things that, and it must have been, you know, I'm sure it's a massive shock for a guy, especially, you know, you come out of a, you know, a team like BYU, you're playing independent, schedule in the desert late at night nobody on the east coast kind of sees you you kind of getting hyped up with with you know throws on twitter that people are seeing it, it the next morning and all the stuff that the sexy stuff that he did at byu the kind of scrambling around the off platform the throwing off the back foot the stuff that you can get away with you you get to the nfl level and you, you know you just can't do that so what are you left with you know and what you're left with is not a complete reconstruction but it feels like he has to be rebuilt a little bit in terms of how he has to develop is not just the way that, um, you know, a, a tour, for example, who will probably get on to talk. It, the, the, the the redevelopment of tour is slightly different to the redevelopment of, of Zach Wilson. And I just think it's going to be so intriguing to see how that plays out and, and what they do schematically with, uh, because you kind of look that I suspect they'll, I suspect they will run the ball an awful lot. Now, I think they'll run it far more than they did before because, you know, you draft a Brees Hall, just give the guy the ball. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, let's get, let, let's get, and I think in early, in the early weeks, you'll probably just see them get some early wins schematically in terms of just getting them out of the pocket, rolling out little dump offs, little using the tight ends, all those sorts of things. I just think that that's, you've almost got to build him from the ground up again, but whether or not that's going to be success, I don't know. It's that same thing where this, the team they've built now, you want to say to yourself, okay, they can then be the outside zone, then boot team, right? As you said, they just slam the ball with Brees Hall and then he boots out and wow, he's got that arm. It's, it's naturally off platform and he can make all the throws from that position. The, the field's cut in half him, so he doesn't have to read a whole lot, finds the open guy and flips it out. And that makes great sense in theory, but it's just, they're just missing the boat. Uh, this is why I always write about the evolutionary nature of the league. Well, the league caught up to that last year built its entire structure around stopping the boot then roll. And so now what? And so all the other guys who run that, and we'll come on to those guys throughout this conversation, all flip their script. Sean McVay doesn't run the boot then roll system anymore. Just isn't what he runs anymore. So you're going to run the system that has just been built by the defenses across the league, whilst the guys who first reintroduced that system on mass have moved away from it themselves. I, I don't know if you want to be... I don't think Zach Wilson is good enough to be able to beat a defense when he knows what when they know what's coming. Aaron yeah. Rodgers, totally fine. The, the, the Packers still ran just as much as they did beforehand, even when they ran into the, those exact structures because they have Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Zach Wilson, I'm not so sure. Yeah, it will be fascinating to see how it plays out. Uh, let's talk about the Niners then, uh, which is the flip side I mentioned there to tr- 
Trey Lance and Zach Wilson's development that they kind of hid him as much as possible. He played in that Cardinals game. It was really, really bad. I did think he got better in the second half of that game. I, he was really antsy, very toey in throwing the ball, which is unusual for him. He is an all cleats in the, in the ground kind of driver. He's almost old fashioned in the way he delivers the ball, which is interesting because the frame and the skill set we kind of think of as you're saying, bouncing the ground off platform guy. But when he wants to deliver a throw, he, he has very traditional quarterback mechanics typically, which I think is what has him having a chance to be pretty special at throwing the ball down the field early in his career. Uh, the most interesting thing for me here is, as I just said, they, they all did this outside zone, then boot stuff, McVeigh and then and LaFleur and Shanahan's and all the guys that came off those trees and went around the league. And then last season, those guys got together and said, we can't keep doing that because they're building all these different structures. LaFleur said, I'm going to go four by one or I'm going to throw the ball to Devontae Adams. That's my new s- structure. Sean McVeigh says, we're going empty. I'm not getting on the center anymore. And Kyle Shannon says, give me a year. I've drafted this guy and we're going to go to the pistol. And then when I do go in the center, it's the boot and roll stuff. Well, this guy can turn the corner and beat anyone anyway. So he's an unbelievable athlete. And we are adding the quarterback run element to this offense instead of just having one of the static guys. And so now this is the, the time to see it. They had the incubation period. They got the free year and everyone loves the red shirt year while it's going on. And don't worry, we'll red shirt him, we'll red shirt him. Well, now you got to take the red shirt off and start him unless they don't trade Jimmy Garoppolo in the preseason and then there's a discussion to be had. Yeah, that's the the the, the talk, the smoke that seems to be coming out of San Francisco, whether it's true or not, that was sort of reported a couple of weeks ago was that they, they're not overly thrilled with the development of Lance. What, what I think is so interesting, because people kind of look at Lance and think, oh, he must have, you know, and if you don't follow, follow college football, people must have just thought, you know, Lance, gunslinger, running around the whole time. Yeah, that was a heavy run first offense the Bison ran. You know, I think he averaged 15 throws per game. He had the amazing season, 28 touchdowns, no interceptions, came back, played the one game um, and looked okay in 2021 20, uh, or whenever, whenever it was, 2020. And um, But I just think it's really, the, you know, again, we talk about Zach Wilson having to be rebuilt. You almost have to... You must have to look at what he did, what he was. You know, he was he was as much a running quarterback as he was a a, a passing quarterback. You know, in in such a run heavy system, like such a run heavy system. Um, I think I think there's been a sea change with Garoppolo in terms of you know he's definitely going to get dealt. He's definitely going to get dealt, and I feel like subtly over the last couple of weeks, it's felt like. Eh, probably best if we keep Jimmy around. And I don't know if that's reflective of what they've been seeing of Trey Lance or whether or not they just feel like it's a better, you know, they're, they're not getting the offers, it's a better fit. The other thing to remember is that Trey Lance is still younger than every quarterback that was drafted this year, bar Sam Howe. He's literally, I think in May the 9th, he turned 22. He's a baby still, you know. This is, again, and we talk about giving up on players. If we're, if we're thinking that we're going to get to the end of this season and we're going to give up on, potentially give up on Zach Wilson, are we really saying that by the end of this season, if Trey Lance starts and doesn't play very well that we're going to give up on a 22 and a half year old guy they, I mean, you, just, you can't deal all those picks that's 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 the, the that box way. lynch has put himself in that that costs you your job if you go to the owner and say we're going to move on from the guy and never play him but didn't you give up all those picks don't worry about the picks didn't you trade jimmy garoppolo don't worry about me trading jimmy garoppolo let me go and take uh will levis you know yeah. 17th overall i i just don't think you can get away with that so they're they're in this trey lance thing now it's just about how they make it work and they did some really, really cr- – I mean, they just ripped all the Greg Roman stuff that Lamar Jackson runs and dumped it into the game plan against Arizona. And it was this real 
disconnected game plan because Jimmy had got hurt. So they didn't really want to install, or they hadn't installed the whole thing with the entire offense. But it is really interesting hesitation and stalk blocks that just no one else in the league runs, that only Baltimore runs, and it mashes up everything at the second level. And if you pair that with down-the-field accuracy, I mean, we've seen it with Lamar. You roast people. That's how you win MVPs, right? Guys are streaking wide open down the field, and it's easy, easy pitch and catch stuff. And I, I think Trey can be a really good down-the-field thrower. It's just some of that quick rhythm, like you're saying, can he throw against coverage, all the classic stuff. What's his footwork, rhythm, and timing like? Not great so far, was really bad in that Arizona game. He had a heel click that did not exist in college. So that's means to me, he's gone to a private quarterback coach and said, I got to speed up my footwork. It's not in time with the offense. And he's worked on it. And then when the bullets started flying, it all went to shit. And he developed a heel click, which adds an extra beat to the, the timing of the passing concept. And uh-oh, the windows in the NFL close really sure. And my timing is a beat off on every single play. And that's what happened in the Arizona game. Now, how can he fix that? Can he cure that? I, I think so. There was so much of flash in that second half. I think it can be pretty great if they can fuse all this stuff together. And he's just, if I think if he's just okay, the design of that offense is so good that they'll be fine. Um, and, and also, we talk about Zach Wilson and talent. He's got a lot of talent. You know, it, it might not be the same sort of big names, but you look at that, the way that, that, that historically the Shanahan run game is, you know, whether that's Jermichael Hasty or Elijah Mitchell, who the sixth round pick who just burst on the scene last year, Trey Sermon, who obviously barely played last year. Jeff Wilson, you know, you give the ball to Jeff Wilson, the, the fourth back, and he's, you know, he's picking up yardage. They drafted Ty Davis-Price, the kid out of LSU, who schematically you think, is that a fit? And, you know, he's just a really interesting player. Um, receivers, you're looking for a step up from Brandon Ayuk. You're looking for a step up from Juwan Jennings. They drafted Danny Gray, who kind of fits the Lance kind of profile in terms of, you know, he's got 4-3 speed. He can just run past everybody. And in terms of trade, just getting the ball down the field. And still you've got, you know, Ray Ray McLeod, who is dependable. They've got to keep Debo Samuel. He's so vital, I just think, in terms of the development. And then you've got the best tight end in the league in George Kittle. You know, can help you out of all sorts. I just think it'll... Um, I, I think he'll be fine, actually, Lance. And, I, I, and I'm and i not sold. I don't know about you. I'm just not sold that I believe these rumours. You know, there's, there's all the talk yesterday about Tua under-throwing Tyreek Hill, which became this massive thing. You know. <laughs> They've only got themselves to blame. A preposterously produced video. But he's doing it in a bucket hat and flip-flops, essentially. Yeah. You know, on a Grand like, Prix track, right? Wasn't that on a Grand Prix? Yeah, exactly. yeah. like, you know, come on, let's be, you know, what can you really tell? Yes, you can talk about classroom stuff. Yes, you can talk about attention to detail at this point of the year. But can you really say that you're really disappointed in, in how Trey Lance is throwing the ball? Because, you know, they're literally doing it in bucket hats and flip-flops. So, you know, what are yeah, you... Throwing the ball, no. If he's struggling with the command of the offense, if that footwork thing is a real... I mean, their offense is entirely based on footwork. Yeah. You know, it, that, that's why all the throws are so wide open. You know, Garoppolo didn't have to think about where the ball's going. You know, his arm, oh, my left foot's here, so the ball's got to go there. Yeah. If, he, if he's not getting that, then you're all looking at each other like, are we going to throw this whole system out that uh, my dad and his dad before him and his dad before him spent 100 years building? <laughs> I don't think so. Old Elijah Shanahan in 1840. Yeah, exactly. The Garoppolo thing, I think, it's a great card for them to hold back and say, maybe we'll just give it three more weeks. We give it four weeks. And and they do almost the Alex Smith to Kaepernick timeline, which is like, keep going with some of the pistol stuff. Let him have another couple of weeks of building up some some confidence in kind of the more the broader system. And then we, we kind of drop it in week six and, and roll with that. And then it gives them, a, I mean, I would not trade Garoppolo at this point just because the value is so weak. You may as well wait and see, you know, knock on wood because I don't want anyone to get injured. But if Derek Carr goes down in Vegas... I know they've done the massive contract, but they're going to want to be competitive during the season. And there's the McDaniels connection. So the league loves Garoppolo. I mean, 
you know, I'm up and down on Garoppolo. I think he's fine, but they really like him and he'll always have a job in the league. So if someone gets hurt, someone will deal a third round pick for him. I think if Jameis Winston has a struggle in the preseason, you look at someone like New Orleans in terms of a team that believes, you know, you only have to look at the, the noises coming out after they did the trade with the Eagles. They believe they can win now. They believe they got a roster that can win now. You draft a Chris Alave who can come in and you're expecting big things from him because of how dedicated he is to being an NFL receiver in terms of route running and all those sorts of things. I think if if the Saints struggle early, you know, and as each week of the season goes on, and if a quarterback struggles or a quarterback gets injured, that you know that pick goes from a fourth to a third to a second to whatever it, you know. I think the 49ers are absolutely wise to just sit where they are, sit tight. They've, you know, they're in the perfect position. The other one that's interesting, I think, is the Giants. They don't pick up the fifth-year option on Daniel Jones. That was a hoo-ha. You have the owner coming out saying that it's everyone else's fault. It's going to do with Daniel Jones. They're not picking up the fifth-year option and basically burying Daniel Jones publicly. They tried like crazy for Mitchell Trubisky, which is head-shake-inducing. And poor Mitch Trubisky now must be sitting going, why didn't I sign with Brian Dave on the Giants? (laughs) An odd one for him, too. Uh, Daniel Jones, I mean, I, I... I've just never seen it with him. Um, was not a big fan of him coming out of Duke. I liked him. I thought he was a perfectly fine college player. Never, you know, never saw a first round pick who could develop into kind of a jump on my cape type quarterback. He's become this kind of odd player where you know he gets stereotyped into being a player he just isn't mostly because of the pigment of his skin he's a running threat his maximum value is as pulling the ball on read options that he's like literally the most efficient runner of the ball in the nfl which is unusual and he's less accurate at the middle portion of the field and down the field than someone like jalen hurts who is able to supplement the you know those two threats being a good runner of the ball as a quarterback should mean you are dominant throwing the ball down the field because everyone squeezes down. Jalen Hurts does do that. Daniel Jones doesn't do that. So I, I don't know. The Giants are just going to muddle through a year and hope that they can present just enough intrigue and weapons to go and call one of the veterans and say, come to the competent side of New York, even though they've been just as incompetent now for God knows how long. Yeah, I think exactly the same. And, uh, and again, this feels to me like another team that's absolutely got its eyes on 2023 and the draft and and you know the the quarterbacks that we've talked about ad infinitum I think that's exactly where it goes you obviously understand why why Dable you know having worked with Mitch Trubisky for a year thinks you'd come in you can be a bridge but you know that's just a bridge to another draft do you know what I mean it's that that's exactly what it is it was I, I can't for one second countenance the fact that Brian Dable thought you know what Mitch is the answer here in New York because that's you know if Mitch is the answer I have no idea what the question is well, if you were them, what other, I mean, they, they tried to trade James Bradbury, right? It seems like they're, they're in this kind of weird middle ground where they want to tear the full thing down, but Dable doesn't want to stink in year one. It's that classic situation that rebuilding teams get themselves into when it's not the NBA. So you're mostly missing the draft. So the idea of tearing it down to do the process, like the sixes or something just doesn't work in the NFL. You end up with a bunch of bad players and looking at each other like, wow, we traded away, mm. you know, Odell Beckham and all these people have been traded in the past from this team and, and from other teams. Would you look, I mean, Tony's situation massively up in the air. There's Kenny Golladay who could be available. Would you just kind of strip this thing down as much? Saquon has been talked about a lot. Would would you just strip it down? How can you keep stripping? I mean, at some point you've got to just, you can't keep twisting the whole time. At some point you've got to stick. I can't think that Brian Babel looks at that roster and thinks, oh, we need to tear this up again. Yes, there are questions about Saquon. Yes, there are questions about Kenny Golladay. Yes, there are massive questions about Kadarius Tony, but you can't keep giving away player after player at some point you've got to try and make it work right it's so fascinating looking at the jets nobody wants to go to the jets you know tyreek hill Debo Samuel. <laughs> nobody, 
and nobody can leave the Giants because they can't get any, you know, they can't get any value on any of the trade. They can't get rid of people fast enough. You know, the Bradbury thing is is really interesting in terms of just not being able to get a pick for James Bradbury. That is bizarre. There's got to be some intel going on there, medical or off-field that teams have, because that just doesn't make any sense. Even to do the step, Stefan Gilmore was going to be, you know, he was in a pizza shop, and the Panthers were like, yeah, we'll give a pick because we like we want first crack at Stefan Gilmore, and they couldn't get anything for Bradbury. It's bizarre. Yeah, so weird. Like you said, the must that the medical must be like must be like Carson Strong or something. It's uh, it can't be good. But yeah, that it just that feels so weird. Canarius Tony kind of, you know. Good, do, do bad guy. I hate calling him a bad guy, but do bad guys ever really turn out to be good when they're given loads of money and profile? And uh, the, the one that's funny about that is, I remember Trey Wallace and I when we were first in the read optional, we broke the story about the Florida credit card scandal. I don't remember if you remember that that the, yeah. the, the Florida players were getting all kinds of mad illegal credit cards and um, like crazy shit was happening in Florida. <laughs> yeah, they were they were like buying. They were using student credit cards to buy student like apple max and then just selling them and then thinking they would never get traced when they when they magically had like 14 grand walking around on campus uh, a scheme devised by Kadarius tony so it's, it's you know he already had the money side of the money problems and then you gave him a couple of million dollars that that doesn't often mean someone magically gets better with their money management yeah a guy that a guy that got arrested with ar-15s at the back of his car and then was uh, on a cctv going to a literally going to a gunfight and it's just like yeah we'll make him a first round draft pick well done The thing that I would be excited about as a Giants fan is I think their offensive line has a chance to be really, really good. And Dable, I think, leverages having a good offensive line as well as anyone in the league. The the only thing about Dable that exists that is his thing is run scheme. It's as diverse and creative as anyone in the NFL. He doesn't have an overall philosophy. He just kind of runs what he needs to run with his team. But the run scheme pretty much by and large stays the same. Everyone pulls and moves. He likes to have a really athletic offensive line where anyone at any time can get out to pull as a single man pull concept. So everyone will go. And you look at that offensive line, bringing Evan Neal in obviously is, is huge to them. Thomas, that that is a gifted a fleet of foot line and all those guys will move out. And he also, he did this uh, um, with Buffalo too. If you watch how, if you track the size of their line, they, they change, they change the size of their line quite a lot from season to season. And he does a really good job at changing the passing concepts based on just the, the girth of the line and the height of the line. So it, there's not a whole bunch of offensive coaches. I know it sounds crazy to me, but who actually build their concepts around what is physically possible with the line. They kind of build it off the skill position pieces. And then they generally, most people have some kind of philosophy that, that they're going off. He kind of does start from the line and work out. And that is the thing that where I look at that team on paper offensively, which is what obviously hit his port of call. And I think, oh, that they could do some pretty cool and interesting things this year if, if you're looking for any kind of sign of hope. I think the interesting thing with them is that, you know, you draft a guy like Wondell Robinson, you have a guy like Kadarius Tony, you draft a guy like Daniel Bellinger in the fourth round at San Diego State, arguably the best blocking tight end in the, in the draft. You know, you've got Evan Neal, you've got Matt Peer. If he, you know, I really liked him coming out. If he trains on, you've got Thomas. You talk about Shane Lemieux, the, the Oregon guard. You've got, you've got some pieces, right? You bring in a guy like Daniel Bellinger who can, you know, block a house. Saquon Barkley is so important now and his health is so important because if you've said what you said about Daniel Jones, you've you've not taken up the option. 
if Barkley can stay healthy throughout the season, and it's a massive if, but it feels like in terms of what you've just talked about as well, in terms of schematically, if they're able to run the ball, establish the run, you know, Matt Breeder can, you know, can be the sort of the the lightning to, to Saquon's thunder. I think, you know, they could have an interesting season. I, I mean, I saw somebody talk about them jump up into the second tier of, you know, teams, and I, I, I can't I can't abide that. But um, yeah, you're not going to go from 4 and 12 to an absolutely, you know, safe humdinger of a of a playoff pick but uh, if they can establish the run if they can if they can move the ball and not be reliant on daniel jones who obviously can run the ball himself i think um i think things will certainly there'll be an uptick i think for the giants that's huge for them the melanie point's a great one because now that's six in the box basically because he's a block only guy and then you've got jones that seven and suddenly the numbers get tough and then all of a sudden yeah. wondell robinson and tony are flying past your air hole because you've run down to to fit the run it, it does make life all sorts of easier and if anyone gets that and little you know yep. all kind of all that sort of action so you know that wouldn't surprise me uh you know you look at what they did with Isaiah McKenzie in Buffalo in terms of those sorts of things little guy getting the ball on jet sweeps those sorts of things I you know getting him in space quick throws to, to the little guys in space I think that's uh you know I think you'll see a lot of that with uh with the Giants the other one I'm interested in is Trevor Lawrence and the Jags and what we can expect for him in his second year in the league. We're doing a lot of second year guys. I've noticed we should just, we should have just uh, done that as the pod, shouldn't I? If I was thinking ahead and not ill. Um, I, I, this is funny. I, I saw a, someone clipped up a ridiculous Trevor Lawrence throw that I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago. And I said to myself, I'd watched a bunch of the Jags during the year and I would throw my laptop out the window, take a long walk uh, in the dark and then return. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back into this. this is the time. Yeah. Go back in emotionless, you know, and no, no bias, no urban minus in my head. I'm going to go rewatch this stuff, get a feel for, for Lawrence, what worked well, what didn't, what they might try and run next season. And I lowered it up and I tried to start again and I still cannot kick how incompetent it was last season. I'm talking from a play design point of view. The ball handling with the off hand on boot actions does, does, did not work in the NFL. And they would call it four or five times a game and then wonder why their first overall pick is getting slammed in the ear hole before he's able to pivot off his foot because the design of the play is wrong in the NFL Urban. And by the way, the whole building is full of pro guys. You know, Urban takes all the crap, but the quarterback coach, the OC, they had an offensive analyst, all of them, they were on Super Bowl um, staffs. And no one came to him and said, hey, mate, the timing of this is a, this college timing. That doesn't work in the NFL. We don't got four seconds to get the ball spun around in, in the ball handling situation and throw it to the perimeter. The ball has to be out now in the NFL. So it was just such a travesty. So I still can't even get a feel. I feel like we're going back to scratch. And my only concern for him would be the worst case scenario would be the, the David Carr, just the scars of rookie season being so bad that it kind of beats the the, the greatness out of a player. Yeah, my, my issue with Jacksonville beyond schematics, which like you say is, you know, and I'm intrigued to see what Press Taylor does in terms of what, what that offensive style is and that system is and, you know, whether they can just actually, you know, design players that are good. Um, and don't get your quarterback hurt, is that they had so much money, they had so much opportunity, and yet you go through their roster and you just think, are you better? Do you know what I mean? Are you? How much better are you? Yep, you'll get Travis Etienne back, but obviously, you know, he's not, you know, he's not played down in the NFL. We don't know what he's going to be. James Robinson's obviously coming back off the injury. But you look at the rest of their running backs and you think, yeah, well, if Robinson and Etienne don't, you know, is Mackay Sargent getting it done? Is... Nathan Cottrell getting it done. Is that going to help Trevor Lawrence out? And then you look at the receivers and you think, oh, well, they must have, you know, they must have really 
brought in a you know were they involved in a trade for Tyreek were they you know Debo all that no it's Laquan Treadwell and the ridiculous the most ridiculous contract I've ever seen in my life for Christian Kirk and it's Zay Jones and it's Marvin Jones and then you kind of like and LaVisca you know with his kind of hands like Edward Scissorhands and <laughs> How much even tight ends, you know, and I know that you know he didn't throw to a lot of tight ends in in in, in uh, Clemson, but you know, if Evan Ingram's your 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 guy, do you know what I mean? You kind of feel like and everybody talked about oh well, they're gonna draft Evan Neal first overall, they're gonna draft Evan Neal. That was the kind of the conversation for a long time because it didn't feel like they had any confidence in Cam Robinson's kind of a middle tier sort of left tackle. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh no, we're keeping Cam Robinson, oh, we're signing him to a big contract. But how much better is that? Yes, they ended Brandon Scherf, but how much better did that line get? I don't know. And the, the thing with, with Doug would be that the ball is out so fast yeah. that I do think he believes. I, I think I think he spoke about this publicly that some of the love for that, I mean, that Philly O-line is as dominant as we've had in the modern game. You know, you'd have to go back to the Hogs or something to find one that was as good as that group that carried Nick Falls to Super Bowl, basically. And they had the advantage of running a set of designs that the league, for some reason, wasn't aware existed, even though they, they ran it in high school for like 15 years. <laughs> that No one knew what was happening and they, they marched to the Super Bowl. No one could stop them. I think even he believes that just the style of his offense means those guys always look better because they're always moving forward. So it's, it's a lot easier to move forward and put one in the mouth than it is to drop into a pass set and have, you know, um, Genevian Clowney trying to fly in your inside shoulder whilst Garrett loops outside. That's that's, that's really tough. Um, so I think they'll just naturally look better, be better. The whole fit of it will work better. The ball will be out so much quicker. But, but I'm with you. I was thinking about this the other day. I, wanted, I was thinking about maybe writing about this, but it felt almost like a 12-year-old's uh, idea of a column, which was, why did they not just trade for Debo or Tyreek Hill? Why did they do that Christian Kirk contract? And I understand those guys maybe you know wanted to go to Miami in Tyreek's case, that uh, Devontae was, was only going to be with Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers. I understand those ones. But there was definitely a money amount that's like they would just go to Jacksonville. So you give Christian Kirk $17 million a year, you pay an off-ball linebacker. They paying him $11 million a year, Alicano, I think, and they drafted two. Why didn't you just go and give... Um, any of the big names, Debo, uh, Tyreek, why don't you say to one of them, here's 25 million a year fully guaranteed for the next four years and just get a, a, a complete game changer who changes the whole style of offense basically um, for them and obviously becomes such a focus of the defense that it just makes life easier for everyone else. It is, given that they were in the big receiver market, it's confusing that they weren't in those conversations more. Where are the stars on that team as well? Do you know what I mean? You just go through the position groups, you're like, Where's the where's the star here? Where's the apart from Lawrence? You're like, no running back. I mean, you know, Robinson's a good player, but he's coming off the injury. You look at receiver, and you're like, no. You look at tight end, no. You look at offensive line, you're like, well, I mean, is Brandon Scherf a star? He's a, you know, he's a really solid player. You know, defensive line, you're like, Josh Allen's been okay. Caleb on chase on just hasn't you know hasn't performed. Linebacker, you're like, well, we got rid of um, we got rid of the kid from UCLA, and we're like, okay, Devin Lloyd, but he's a rookie. Chad Moon is a rookie. Olakan is like, you know, we spent a lot of money, but he's a star. Trayvon Walker is like, you know, he's the first overall pick, but you know, and then you look at the secondary, and you're just like, you know, Tyson Campbell. Beyond, where are the stars on this team? All the money, all the draft picks, all the everything, and you're just like, there's not. It's, a- it's bizarre. It is bizarre when you go through it. The only one who has a breakout chance, and I have no idea what it'll be like with the injury, is Etienne. You know, he has a chance to be just a complete, you know, hill-level field tilter where it's like, oh, my God, the guy's just running past everyone on every play. How does he do that? But injuries, you never know. And Star, you know, 
sometimes you say star and people think, oh, you just mean famous people. There's a reason these guys are stars. The difference makes on the team. And there's become this kind of consensus among media analysts that you can Bengals things now. And that's become like a verb. It's like, oh, you just Bengals the defense. Like, yeah, you can Bengals the defense when you have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. You still, the league is still splash plays. I know everyone's running too deep coverage and it's hard to throw the ball down the field. That's what makes having the special quarterbacks that bit more important is that Justin Herbert can hit throws that Jimmy Garoppolo cannot against too deep coverages. You still have to hit 40 plus 20 yard plays a season and prevent having 25 hits against you. That's still the formula in the NFL will be from now for the next 25 years or so. And I look at them and I go, I don't know who's preventing big plays. I don't think the pass rush is there, and I don't see any big play threat to them down the field. No, none at all. And it's, it's certainly not Christian Kirk and his $180 billion contract. Uh, <laughs> we'll wrap up then with um, the Seahawks, unless you want to do some of the more Eagles and Dolphins sort, we can hit on that too. This Seahawks thing, I just I just do not get it at all. I can't th- They're going to do Drew Locke, evidently. Yeah. Or that they, they are not in on Baker Mayfield, which is the one that makes a ton of sense to me. You know, they've just built a whole roster around this 5'10 guy wearing stilts. Um, and now they could go and get another 5'10 guy who's probably sneakily 5'8 and, and calls himself 5'10. That, that just seems to make sense. They have the same skill set, but Russell can do things down the field that Baker cannot do, which is what makes him special and makes the other guy Baker Mayfield. So it just feels like a really smooth, we'll take the contract, you know, just tied us over for a year and then we can really plan for the following season. I just can't believe that Pete Carroll at this age in his life, where, you know, it brings in the human element. I, I get a strong rebuild after you lose a superstar. I don't get a strong rebuild when you're at his age in life. And he's like, he wants to go out with Drew Locke winning two games a season. What's really interesting for me is that Matt Sherry and I on, on this podcast and Will for, for many years bemoaned the sort of Pete Carroll, John Schneider axis of never really helping Russell Wilson out massively, and especially on the offensive line, especially at receiver. And now they've obviously got rid of Russell Wilson. <laughs> you know where this is going, right? They got rid of Russell Wilson. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got these potentially bookend tackles that you've just drafted, Charles Cross and, uh, and Abe Lucas, you're like, oh, the offensive line looks better than it did at most points under Russell. You know, David Lewis will trade on and, you know, Gabe Jackson's there. And, you know, okay, that looks a little, you know. And then you look at tight end and you're like, oh, you know, Will Disley can do a job. He, you know, he's, he's okay. Will Disley can, you know, he can block. He can kind of get open underneath. Oh, I'm no fan as well. Okay, yeah, because he, yeah, that looks like probably better than it did at most points. Just And then you look at the receiver and you're like, well, Tyler Lockett's still there, obviously. And DK Metcalf's still there, and Freddie Swain is still there. He can do, you know, do some things with the fourth guy and whatever. Oh, Bo Milton, who, you know, and oh, obviously Dwayne Eskridge. And, and you're like, look at running back. And oh, it's Kenneth there's Moore. 900 running backs. Yeah. You know, you've got Rashad Penny, who, like, looked at play absolute gangbusters back in the last year. And if he can stay healthy, he could be whatever he wants to be. No, oh, but you've got, you know, oh, Chris Carson's still there. And uh, oh, Kenneth Walker. And it's just like, this feels like a better offense than Russell had for most of his career. It's, it's so strange. But 100%, they're going with Drew. I mean, how many opportunities do they have to take a quarterback? How many opportunities in free agency could they, you know, were they in the Jimmy market? Were they in the Baker market? Were they in the any market? No, nope. they brought in Jacob Eason. They couldn't give a shit about anything else. It's Drew Lock or Bus. And you, you've got DK tweeting out things like, you know, you don't know how good this kid could be or whatever that he tweeted. It's just like, Come on, did the press officer send you that to tweet out or what? I mean, maybe, you know. He's just never been good at any level of football. Why would he magically become good in the NFL? It makes no sense. I understand that some of the college numbers are absurd, but as I've detailed ad nauseum, he's playing in that Josh Heupel system where 
literally for listeners, Drew Locke has a brilliant arm, right? They, they would sleep half the field. They go, okay, we're going to throw the ball to the right side of the field. And we're going to go so fast that the left side, you guys don't run routes. They would just stand there and stare at the line of scrimmage so that they could run really fast up to the line of scrimmage. And those lads just rested a rep while the corners had to drop into coverage because they don't know they're sleeping, right? So then when they run the next route, they're tied and they're not so they can run faster. That was the offense. Talk about gimmicky. I mean, it doesn't get any gimmicky than that in the SEC. And then that guy can throw the ball really fast. He'll just throw the ball down the field every time. That was the offense. And so he put up some some insane numbers, but it's like anyone who watched the tape, like the guy can't play. He was never asked to play. So to think he could magically do it in the NFL was insane. The Broncos took a chance, didn't work out. They couldn't wait to move on. You know, every every three weeks, they were looking to trade for any, any human alive who could come and take the place of Drew Locke. They tried every free agent. They finally found one in Russell Wilson and, and the, the Seahawks, which is an organization that obsess over the little things and the details. It rubs the people there like mad, right? Right, some a lot of those guys just want to play football, and they're obsessed about the details and the plays with no nuance to his game. What I love about Drew Locke, and I'm just—I only know this because I've literally just clicked on it because I was looking for something else. I was looking at the heights of the quarterbacks that they've got beyond Locke. I just wanted to see what Levi Lewis was height-wise. I just clicked on Drew Locke, and it says on Wikipedia, Drew Locke, not to be confused with Drew Locke with an E. All right. <laughs> Not to be confused with Drew Locke with an E or Andrew Luck. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Stevie Wonder would not confuse <laughs> Drew Locke without an E with Andrew Luck. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm sure the Broncos tried calling Andrew Luck in the middle yeah. of Drew Locke starting saying, please, good God, come back. Quite frankly, they take Drew Lock with an E. The, the rugby <laughs> union player from London Scottish. I mean, you probably do just as equally good job. So. Yeah. Probably. Probably. All right. We're going to leave the podcast there. We do want to start getting to listener questions. So um, send them at gridiron on Twitter, email oliver.conley at platformmedia.uk. If you have any uh, mailbag questions throughout the season, they can be about anything. Ask Sai whatever you want. He's got a lot. He's got a a treasure trove of of information in that skull of his about media, different sport. Just saying I'm old, aren't you? (laughs) He has experience. Went down the experience route, thought, slam on the brake. Don't want to make it seem like he's that old. Let's (laughs) go left a little bit, throw a load of words in, and then just be like, fuck it, he's old. (laughs) I know you, Connolly. Football, you know, what's it like to age in the modern era? You know, what was the printing press like? any, Any questions you have, you send them in and we will answer them coming up. And next week, we're going to get to some wacky and bold predictions. So if you have your wacky and bold predictions that we can break down, and I'm not thinking boring things, who's going to win games. I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers walking off the field in week three with double birds to everyone because he's had enough of overthrowing Christian Watson. That kind of stuff I'm talking about and retiring on the spot, not even going to the podium, probably doing it through McAfee show. I imagine it's how that would go down. It's the only way it will go down. Not the only way. Sai, thanks for doing this. All right, mate. See you soon.